Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey there, my friends, Grant Baldwin here. We are back with another episode of the Speaker Lab podcast today, and uh, I've got a great episode for you. Today, we're going to be chatting with my friend Lauren Teague, and uh, we're going to be talking about her experience with AI as it relates to the speaking industry. Now, Lauren's been a speaker for several years and spent a lot of time around other speakers. And in this episode, we're going to be digging into her experience using marketing, content, social media, and now AI to create strong fandoms for businesses all over the world. Now, as Lauren's career has kept her busy and she's been focused on always finding new tools and ways to optimize her time. Through the years, she's embraced technology as a tool to help create and distribute content. And so Lauren has uh, recently kicked off her own podcast and putting AI to the test, but she knows that AI isn't going to write or give talks for her. So if you want to learn more about how to leverage AI in your own speaking business, this episode is for you. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Lauren Teague. Enjoy. Hey, friends, what's up? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Grant Bolden here, and I'm excited to be joined by my friend, Miss Lauren Teague. And we're going to be talking uh, all about a subject and topic that is, uh, I don't know, it just feels like it's just all over the place all the time. We can't get away from it. The robots are coming for us. We're going to be talking about AI for speakers. So, uh, Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Grant. I'm so happy to be on Speaker Lab podcast. This is going to be fun. So first of all, why don't you give us a little bit of context for you, uh, because you, uh, we're going to be talking about AI, but give us some context for you about like uh, speaking and how speaking fits into your business and your world. Yeah, I've been speaking um, professionally since I joined JBear and the Convince and Convert team about um, eight or nine years ago. Uh, one of the benefits of working with someone like JBear um, is twofold. One, you get to see how the master does it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have literally had a master class in how to develop speaking topics and running um, kind of that side of the business. And then also, there's a lot of demand on someone like Jay's time. And so that trickled, some of those requests trickled down to me. So I was um, probably a better paid speaker when I was working for him, even though I'm a better professional speaker today. Um, and so that's kind of how I got started doing the speaking, doing a lot of digital marketing, social media, social and content marketing topics. Um, and that's still where a lot of people find me and do that. Um, but in the last couple of years, I've, I've set my own course and path. And I've realized that fandom is the thing that has I've always believed in, um, always had a hypothesis around and always got to um, kind of experiment with. So when I worked for the PGA Tour, I was their first social media and fan engagement lead um, in the entire organization. Um, so fandom and how to reach fans online, how to 
figure out how to, you know, use Twitter and Facebook and YouTube to, to reach golf fans in a way, how to teach the players to do that and the tournaments to do that and how to do very important things in board meetings like give them the example of like what an at sign is versus a hashtag and mm-hmm. what we could use on signage on the golf course. These are very important conversations in 2009, 10, 11. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so fandom has been part of that and then getting to work with some of the world's most interesting brands as part of the convince and convert consulting team, um, being able to test what is fandom look and feel like for a B2B tech Versus a healthcare group versus a higher ed, um, you know, program and, and kind of the gamut. So fandom has kind of been the thing that, that I've always believed really strongly in. So now I'm, I'm out in the market with uh, a keynote, a podcast, um, and repositioning kind of all of my marketing strategic things into, into kind of unpacking f- the phenomenon of fandom and how businesses and brands can leverage that to, you know, future proof what they're doing. So very cool. Well, I, I would love to ask you about a uh, PGA and live tour uh, and how that drama has unfolded in the past month or so. Yeah, but we'll, say, we'll save that for another time. We'll save it for another time. I'll ask you later. Speaking uh, of robots taking over the world. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ah, okay. Well, interesting segue. So let's talk about that for a second as it relates to the speaking industry. So, um, you know, again, like we've, we were touching on, it seems like in the news that, you know, AI is a, a big thing for the past several years. I don't know, it feels like a thing that's always kind of, it's been coming, it's been coming, it's been coming. Is it here or not? Uh, the rise of, of things like uh, chat GPT, but like, what are you seeing like in the speaking industry specifically of how AI is starting to affect things? Yeah. So first of all, let's just say like AI is not new and it also is very new. Just like last year, cryptocurrency and NFTs weren't new, except they were very new. And everybody got very, lots of people got very excited about it. And you've seen how that's kind of played out um, over the last 12 to 18 months. But for... For what you said about AI, you know, I am someone who is always looking for a way to optimize my time and my processes. So when, you know, Google Wave, do you remember Google Wave way back when? I mean, this is like more than 10 years ago. And Wave was like the first iteration of um, collaborative documents. And it was in the Google suite. And we were able to kind of do things together, which now just looks like Google Docs, right? They fed a lot mm-hmm. of that technology, but there was a little bit of AI in there. There's some autocomplete, there was some some things there as well. Well, fast forward, you know, today, and what we're seeing is that just, you know, generative AI is really at the forefront. And as someone who has a marketing background um, and speaks a lot on digital marketing and futurism. This is this is something that now everybody's seen. But what but what we're seeing is that it doesn't matter kind of what kind of speaker you are. If you have an email list and you're using an email software to write your emails, chances are there's a new AI component in there that's helping you kind of draft or or write a paragraph that you don't really want to write. Um, I'm seeing it on, you know taking over on on Squarespace. Now there's an AI generative button. It's on my live plan for my startup. There's an AI button. So what the it's ubiquitous in that we're seeing it kind of everywhere, which means that speakers kind of across the gamut now have access to these tools that maybe they didn't before. And what's really, really fun and what I've gotten to do over the last six to eight months is in the release of my podcast, um, get to use some of these tools every day to help systemize and maximize and multiply the content that we can create, that we can get out into the world, that we can use 
for sales pages that we can use for social posts that we can use for show notes or LinkedIn articles. Um, where I don't use it, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this, is I don't use it to write my talks, right? Mm-hmm. AI is not going to give my talk for me, although we are getting a little bit closer to that. But I think from a like a doing perspective and being able to multiply your time in your systems, that it is everywhere. It, be, it is now a techno, technology revolution in a way that we haven't seen in, in you know, 15 to, to 20 years. So... Should should speakers just in general be threatened by AI? Should it be something we embrace? Should we be skeptical or nervous? Like, how should we be thinking about this? I think it's always good with new technology to be skeptical. That's a good word for it. But also be willing to embrace it. You know, AI is available to everybody. So when I was at a family camp out this past weekend, you know, my... 65 year old retired, uh, my dad's cousin is talking to me about use cases for AI. My, uh, another uncle who I wouldn't describe as, you know, technology savvy at all is talking about how AI is affecting, you know, the things in his life. And so, um, you know, there is a healthy dose of skepticism that has to happen. And then a healthy dose of, of realization that, and the realism that this is not going to replace the things that speakers do. It's yeah. going to augment. It's going to support some of the the activities that we do. But in my mind, a speaker's job is to go in front of an audience and tell their personal stories, give their, you know, their framework or their idea in a way that the audience is going to receive it to, to make a change. And, and no, no script that I can write with chat GPT and then, you know, have some automated voice, you know, voice that over to create a reel or to create a 10 minute YouTube video. Like that doesn't have the same effect on the people that I, as a speaker want to affect. Yeah. And so like, is that level of AI coming? Like, is that going to be a thing where it would like radically impact or shake up the speaking industry? I don't know that the level of AI that's coming is, well, that we have today can do that. I absolutely believe that in the future, there will be generative versions of not just like how to create a talk, but also how to deliver that talk. Absolutely. So I was uh, a few weeks ago at NSA National Speakers Association's Influence Conference, and there was a lot of different AI and um, related products and technologies there to kind of show off and, and to talk to speakers about how that might be used. But even in the opening keynote, Sophie uh, DeGusto, or Sylvie DeGusto, she... Um, she presented with a hologram. Mm -hmm. And so that was like a very, I, and I had never seen that on stage. And so, yeah, I sat in on an, an informative session about someone who can render my digital likeness and render my voice. And I can then write scripts and automate and systemize personal videos that do look and feel and sound like me. On yeah. online. Um, so could we get to a spot? Yeah, we're not very far off where I could say, like, I could sell a virtual program if I invested in the tools and technology. I could sell a virtual program because I have a script from a keynote 
and I feed it into a, a digital likeness and, and edit some of those things. And, and it looks and sounds enough like me that it yeah. passes the virtual muster. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that scary? That's pretty wild to think about. Um, yeah. All right. So without creeping everybody out then. So let's 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 go back the other direction. So it sounds like today as it's, it's like the large benefit or use case for you is is largely around efficiency of mm-hmm. content creation. Is that fair? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. And that's where I think ethically, I have a much, um, I'm in a much more comfortable place saying I'm giving what whatever AI tool I'm using, I'm giving it my words, my content, my graphics, my video, the things that I am creating, and I'm asking it to do more like that for me rather than originating and generating. Like I, I may have gone into, you know, a chat GPT once and said, like, if I was to write a social media course, you know, to give online, like what would, what would be the recommended, right? Write me an outline, but I would never take that word for word. Right. Also, I've, I'm a different kind of person than, than others, but I, I'm not taking that word for word and generating content that I'm selling without any input from me. I think that's where that skepticism comes in and the realism of, AI is a good thought partner. It is a good, it's like the most valuable intern that you could hire in that most capable, but you have to be extremely specific and good at delegation in order to get the most out of it. So when I'm on stage now teaching content multiplication magic to marketers or to speakers and those kinds of things, first of all, I always start with a framework that is mine around content multiplication to show someone Here's the work you have to do to figure out what you need. Now that you now when you know what you need, here's how to use AI to multiply um, yeah. what you can get out of that. So that might be, you know, a month's worth of social media posts, but it also might be, you know, the the copy or the the rough first draft for an email newsletter that's gonna go out. Right. Uh, you, you, we've touched on chat GPT and that seems like kind of a, the big gorilla. Um, for those who aren't familiar, like how would you define it? How would you describe it? Because uh, it is like there's an element of magic to it, like when you fiddle around oh, with sure. it. Um, yeah. But it's also to some degree, it feels like like a spruced up version of Google. Um, so like how would you describe it? You're laughing at that. I don't know if that if, I if you agree or disagree. It. Only because today I didn't have a chat GPT window open on my tabs, which is rare. And instead I went to Google and typed in the most ridiculous wordy search. And it was written in a prompt style. And I typed it into Google and then, but I didn't have Google Bard open, which is the Google, you know, AI product to, to give me that, the output. So it's funny that in my brain, I'm starting to use it as both, but I'm also starting to learn how to prompt engineer correctly to get better outputs from ChatGPT. So anyways, go, going back to your question about like what it is, um, the open AI's ChatGPT, Meta's Llama, Google's Bard and and uh, I think Microsoft's Bing, you know, AI products. Mm-hmm. These are all language models. They're trained on the majority of available content on the web, right? So, for example, OpenAI ch- trained ChatGPT on most everything that was on the internet uh, up until September 2021, and so they're training these models with existing content to help the models predict because again it's a robot so the the aim is to predict the next best word in a sentence it's not 
to think, it's not to feel, it's not to take on a personality unless that personality has enough back catalog of, you know, of internet writing that they can say, okay, if I'm going to write in the style of Grant Baldwin, I'm going to refer to all of the information that I know has been authored by Grant Baldwin. And then I'm going to pick the next best word in this to create sentences, to create paragraphs, to create, you know, material in the style of someone because not because I'm a fan, but because I understand the writing techniques of Grant Baldwin. Yeah. Right. And so that's kind of that output. So when we're thinking about how to use the computers to our advantage, it's that really strong delegation um, and being specific about what you're asking for is so important, but just to understand the capabilities. And so when you understand and you're approaching it from, you know, give me the next best word to create these sentences, to create these paragraphs, to create these chapters, to create these, you know, what have you, that's a lot different than um, rank these by by preference, right? It's not going to, it's not going to, for me, spit out like a media list of people I want to pitch a topic to and then rank them by anything that's not just data on a web page right. that I can right. reference. So. Now, uh, I've fiddled with ChatGPT a little bit. Um, and it's, as far as I know, it's a free tool. Are all of these free? Are some of them paid? Are there differences between? Um, you know, OpenAI's version of this versus Meta's version of this versus Microsoft's version of this versus Google's version of this. Like, is it all kind of like variations of the same thing? Um, well, the different language models are a little bit different. So Meta's language or model is more open source. They've actually released it to developers to iterate on, which is interesting. Um, I think for Google, one of my Google accounts, my longest standing Google account, my personal Gmail, got access to their platform first, where it's my kind of Google workspace, the ones that I actually pay yep. for haven't yet, which I think is interesting. Um, there is a free version of Chad GPT that does fine. Um, if you want it available to you on demand and you want like the highest processing power, um, I pay $20 a month, I think, to use it right now. Um, but other tools are being built on these big models. So this is, think of the models as being kind of the source code, right? It's the Ruby, it's the Python, it's the HTML um, that we can iterate on. And so other developers are building upon these models um, to make very specific tools. So that's where you get something like a tool that I've been using a lot is called Cast Magic. And it was built by a podcast host to get hmm. to extract a really good transcript out of a recording. Um, so a really accurate transcript. And then to automate the 10 to 12, 15 prompts that this guy was trying to run every time on like a chat GPT. Now, when I started my podcast, The Brand to Fan Show, I was spending two-ish hours on a Sunday night doing the same thing, extracting the, the transcript out of like Zoom or wherever I was recording, inputting that into ChatGPT, and then extracting out, okay, now find me 15 great quotes, um, chapter this for me, da 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 you know, yeah. can you write me 15 tweets? So Cast Magic actually is... is giving me those two hours back every week because when I upload a transcript into their platform, it's auto running 
kind of those prompts plus anything else that I've that I've trained it to do, any other prompts that I've saved. What's cool about that is they've quickly iterated on the product. So the product's not just for podcasters anymore. It's for anyone who's doing coaching. So you can upload your coaching notes and in, in, or coaching recordings, and then it will create for you, automate the the notes and the, the follow-ups and the action items. And that's really great. Um, I've started to put in either video versions or um, audio versions of my talks. So any virtual presentations that I'm doing, I actually put in my my keynote, one of the latest versions of my keynote into Cast Magic to get a really great transcript and then to run some of those same extraction pieces. For example, because I'm going to do a speaker, a video showcase in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. So I want to know what the AI thinks is the most important parts of my talk. I want it to know what it recognizes as compelling or quotable hooks. Yep. And I want to know what those timestamps are so I can go back in and say, okay, if I have 15 minutes on stage for video purposes, I don't need to run through every story verbatim. I just want to pull out exactly what I need. What is the AI signal as important? Do I need to reorder some things so that it actually signals differently? Um, what do I want to put into that video because it's signaled that that is something that someone's going to hear, right? So I'm starting to use that tool specifically and I pay for that one. But what yeah. I pay for it is, you know, for one month um, is less than I was paying for somebody on my team to do two hours of podcast production. Right, right. So, so it, it seems it, like it, uh, the with ChatGPT or some of these other tools, like a lot of it is built around uh, creating a, a good prompt. So one, like maybe define, kind of describe for us, for people who haven't fiddled with these tools, like yeah. what is a prompt? What are we talking about here? How does that work? And then also like the key to it is making good prompts. And so like what what's the difference between a good prompt versus a crap prompt? Um, and ultimately, like it's, it's kind of like... Uh, like I, I talk to our speakers about this um, within the speaker lab sometimes it's just like if you ask a generic question you're going to get a generic answer so the more specific 100%. you can be tends to lead to like a more specific better tailored answer but it forces you to like really think about the best possible question to ask to get the best possible answer and i would assume it's similar with prompts so define like again kind of what what is a prompt what are we talking about there yep. and then what are some tips for creating good prompts that lead to good outputs yeah, so a prompt is the updated vernacular for what we would also think of as like a Google query. When we all learned how to use Google before Google got smart enough to kind of build these things in, do you remember that we had to use quotation marks to keep words together and then the, the all caps and or not, but, you know, those things. Even I think you can still kind of do that a little bit on Google, but the tool has evolved so that we don't have to, right? right. That it's intuitive. So prompting is queries kind of like, I don't know what we're on 6.0, right? And so prompting is is asking of the tool, giving the the instructions to get back the the correct output. Um, and remember, so I said that that chat GPT and other AI models are are trained with the the purpose of predicting the next best word in the sentence to put this all together. So it doesn't have the context. It doesn't have the intuition um, that we built over our careers, that we built over um, our education. So it's a great assist, but you also, you have to be such a good delegator and be so specific. So to be a great prompt engineer, you have to really set the tone. So for example, if you're in chat GPT and you're just messing around for the first time, you're going to create a conversation thread that conversation is kind of in its own silo. ChatGPT is not referring to any other conversations you've ever created in 
under your account, whether you have one or not. Um, and so you have to provide it all of this information from the get-go, which means you need to tell the tool what role it needs to play for you, right? What what do you need it to be? Do you need it to be your marketing copywriter? Do you need it to be your VP of uh, finance? Do you need it to be your writing coach, right? So give it a role, give it um, some explicit tasks, and then tell the model that you're going to give it the additional context that you need. Now, I have a prompt on my website, and it's my uh, kind of my hook in, but um, I'm happy to give it to your listeners as well. And it's it's a really awesome way to learn how to be a prompt engineer. And it kind of sets for you um, a way to conversate with ChatGPT to find out what it's really looking for in order to make better prompts. So you might tell it, like, I want you to become my prompt engineer. And your goal is to help me craft the best possible prompt for what I'm looking for, because the prompt will be used by you, ChatGPT, to give me the output I'm looking for. And it kind of goes through this song and dance, where you give it some information, and it'll write a prompt, but then it will also give you four or five questions that would make the prompt better. Yeah. And that's how I started writing and learning how to write prompts and understanding that a, a an okay prompt, like you were saying, like learn to ask better questions. An okay prompt is one that is just a couple sentences, right? A really good, clear prompt that's going to get you 90% of the way with your output is probably several paragraphs. Yeah. And with explicit information. And if I want someone to write like if I want to write a sales page in your voice or in the voice of Amy Porterfield, I can provide exactly what that looks like. Write me a sales page that looks like this, except for my course, my talk, my such and such, right? And then the close, the more context I can provide, the better it gets. And you have to give more feedback. So I was prompting yesterday around some like launch items um, for my my new business fan wagon. And I mentioned that my birthday was coming up somewhere in the prompt. I don't know. We were having a conversation. Well, at the end of the output, Chad GPT says, I'm glad this was helpful. Don't forget to come back if um, if you have any more questions around this. And P.S. Happy early birthday. Huh. And I'm like, that's one both like terrifying and two like yeah. kind of fun that that it understands. Um, there was a study done with uh, with patients, like healthcare patients, and we're having virtual visits with doctors. You know, kind of that live chat virtual visit um, experience. Some of the patients saw a or corresponded with an actual MD. Some of mm-hmm. the patients corresponded with a Chat GPT model. Mm-hmm. Okay. The patients who corresponded with the ChatGPT model actually rated it as a better experience because ChatGPT showed up as more empathetic yeah. in its response than a normal MD. They would start with, oh, I'm sorry you're having a headache or I'm sorry you're having this problem. And if that's the way that the model is trained to like first respond versus an MD who might be like, tell me more about the symptom what else can I do for, you know, like a much yeah. more direct. It's not that the human has less empathy is that we forget to share it. Yeah. But the model is taking right now some of the better parts of humanity and mirroring those back at us. 
Uh, we've talked about chat GPT. You mentioned cast magic. What are some other tools that are out there that speakers should be paying attention to looking up like, ah, oh, this, these, you know, few are the ones that are going to change your life. So the ones I use every day. So we talked about chat GPT. We've talked about cast magic. Um, another one that I use all of the time is called pictory.ai. And Pictory will create a video, whether you have existing video, like it will help you cut down um, whether you have audio or images or just a script. So you can use that and it will generate um, using kind of some stock video and things. It will generate for you these videos. Now, I'm not the person who's going to spend a ton of time like creating a no face YouTube channel, but I think this is the tool to do that as well. But what I'm doing is throwing back to an editing style of editing with text, um, editing quick edits. I, I'm building my content multiplication magic course right now. And I'm actually using Pictory to, to, to break a large video into several lesson chunks um, huh. because it goes, it's actually going much faster for me in Pictory than it is in Camtasia or a regular video editor. And I've been doing literally, I went to school for video editing. So that's kind of like a huge shift for me. So I do a ton of video cuts in Pictory. It's a, it's a huge time saver and I, and I love using that, but then I'm looking at my, uh, my, just my Chrome browser right now. And I'm like, Oh, I have obviously I have the Grammarly plugin. I've been using mm -hmm. Grammarly for several years. Um, so I have the Grammarly plugin and extension in my browser. I have a handful of different kind of writing styles. I have one that's called witty W I T T Y. What I love about witty is that it's scanning for inclusive language and I gave it to my whole team so that I can be sure just as another kind of reminder of is this language inclusive? Um, some of the things, uh, most of the things I don't necessarily take, um, you know, these variations of like this word might be perceived as such. But if you want to open your eyes to are you writing for everybody or in yeah. a way that kind of turns some people off, I think that one's super, super helpful. Um, but like I was saying earlier, my email program has an AI generation. My website now has AI generation. Um, we're using the AI generation out of Canva to whether it's to edit an image or to create new images that haven't existed before. Um, I'm not the AI artist that Brian Fanzo is, but I played around with it. And yeah. that part's really fun too. And I think what's interesting is like Brian got started with generating AI imagery because he couldn't find what he needed for his talk. So he started... Yeah. AI artistry because he wanted something different in his slides to put on behind him that had never been seen before. Hmm. And he's unlocked like this, this whole other kind of side of him, this creative artist side that he never really, you know, thought was possible. So there's a lot of different ways you can go with that. You mentioned Canva being a tool for some of the graphic design stuff. Um, yep. uh, is that the main one to check out? Um, I know I've fiddled with a few. I'm drawing a blank on any of their names. It's but like Mid Journey is probably the one that is the most popular right now for creative um, okay. generation. Mid Journey, there's Dolly, uh, which I've done a lot of. You know, something even as simple as I couldn't find the right image. I have an analogy in my fandom talk about throwing a rock versus throwing pebbles. Uh, okay. And I couldn't find the right like splash photos. Like uh -huh. rock splash, pebbles splash. And I went to Dolly, I think it was Dolly. And, you know, this was almost a year ago when I started using that story. And uh, and I, I was like, okay, like 
small stream. Okay, give me a, what does it look like in a pond? What does it look like in a lake with a, with a five pound rock, with a 25 pound rock, with a hand foot, like, you know, and it would just doop, doop, doop generate yep. until I found the images that I, I wanted. So, you know, that I think is also a really, for someone who either one loves slides and wants to put a new spin on it or hates slides because they never can find the right thing. I think that's an actually a really interesting use case. I want to go back to something we touched on earlier um, about ethics around uh, around AI, and because AI is is one of those tools that, uh, again, depending on how you're going to be using it, you know, if you put in, hey, write me. Uh, a speech or write me a book or to a small scale of like, help me come up with like uh, 10 different tweets around this topic um, or a Facebook post or a LinkedIn post about this. Um, is there ethics around that? Or like, is that a gray area or is that still just like TBD or how do you think about uh, that? I think it's a little TBD as well. You're going to see more disclosures, I believe from content creators and professional content content creators who are willing to disclose how much of something is generated with AI. It's actually something that I'm going to start doing just to be more transparent about it. But like I get Chris Penn's email every week and he'll disclose if it's a hundred percent written by him. I think Mm. this past week it was 25%, but he explained how he didn't want to type it. So he talked it out, used an AI transcript, like cleaned it up. Right. Like, so he was, he was uh, going from that. So I, I think also, there's a little bit around the weight of um, of the the material that's being created. Like I have no problem copying and pasting tweets because I have a lot of strong opinions about the way that Twitter has gone. So I'm like, if I'm going to keep my presence there, do I need to spend a lot of time and energy on what goes there? As long as yeah. it's pointing back to something that I want people to look at still adding value, but is it like exactly how I would write it? No. And that's probably okay. A LinkedIn post, um, a a course, an ebook, a talk. Oh, I'm going to have, I might need it to kind of create some ideas shaping for me or refine how something's written, but I don't feel like, and that's just because I'm a different kind of person, but also my job is to go on stage or go on video and present. And the tool won't do that for me. The tools that I use aren't going to do that for me. They're going to take what I do and make it a little bit cleaner, sharper, you know, et cetera. So yeah, I think ethics is going to be an issue going forward, but it's very TBD as we all kind of feel out where we're going to use it, where we are comfortable with, with uh, kind of, delegating to the robots and how much of that is good enough to come back and act as us. You know, I was talking to Anne Handley about this and she's like, on one hand, writing is actually more important than ever. (laughs) You know, it's not that writing is not important and we can like offload it. It actually becomes writing is more important than ever because anybody can do it. Literally anybody can do it now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. We've covered a lot of ground here. Anything that we missed, anything that we need to, we need to go, we need to dig into a little bit more. Any other final thoughts or wisdom that you've got for us? Um, you know, I think you asked some really good questions. I think kind of that getting into trying a tool, starting with a little skepticism, it is weird, but also a little hope, like finding what I teach in, in my courses and, and from stages, find a specific use case and mm-hmm. then, Start with the plan of like, do I know what I need? Do I know what my audiences are looking for? Now, how can I use this to to multiply 
what I'm already doing. I think speakers specifically have a treasure trove of content um, on their hard drives. I call it digital dust. And mm-hmm. what I've been able to do really successfully and, and show some of my speaker friends how to do this is, is to use a tool like Pictory, like Cast Magic, to refresh what we've already built and yeah. extract more value in a different way. Um, and so I think, you know, if you are someone who has been speaking for, even if you've been speaking for three years, if you wrote a great program, if you if you had a workbook, if you've got great slides, you know, you can actually take your slides of old and revisit um, those using Pictory, voice something, and now you've got a two-minute trailer for a talk that you could, you could give off the shelf. Right. And, and yeah. so I think that there's going to be more accessibility um, to the content that we've always created because there's more ways to make it relevant again. Awesome. Lauren, this has been super helpful and insightful. Thanks for taking the time. If people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, check out all the mm-hmm. uh, AI tools that you've got uh, on prompts and all the things, uh, where yeah. can we go? Yeah. So my website is laurenteague.com. And um, no surprise, I do have some um, some content there. I wrote a blog post about how AI and automation um, helps us produce a podcast each week, just like you do. Um, but I've also got uh, some some quick guides and checklists and swipe files and things like that that people can pick up there. So laurenteague.com or at laurenteague on the socials. That's how you can find me. Awesome. We appreciate the time, Lauren. Thanks, Grant. Hey friend, are you ready to get serious about taking your speaking business to the next level? Maybe you are someone who is looking for ways to book more paid gigs, or maybe you're trying to figure out all the different things that go into building a successful speaking business. Or perhaps you are an experienced speaker who wants to scale your speaking business to multiple six figures. And so if that's you, I would encourage you to visit thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash apply. I want you to book a free, no obligation call with our team. And if you're not quite ready to take that leap. I don't want you to hesitate in checking out all the free resources that we have available to you on our website, including this podcast. So head over to thespeakerlab.com. Again, thespeakerlab.com. Find hundreds of blog posts, how-to guides, podcast episodes, email scripts, proposal templates, and so much more. Finally, I got a big favor. I would love for you to leave us a rating or review for this podcast. We read every single one, and it also helps other speakers find valuable free resources that they can use to build their own speaking careers. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.